Hey, looking for something to read? Tired of all those published authors with their fancy publishing deals and books you have to pay for? Check out Bob Moore, No Hero by Tom Andre. It's free. It's short. And there are two full-length sequels you can pay for if you're into that sort of thing. Bob Moore. Find out more about the PI that investigates superheroes at www.tomandry.com slash books. Welcome to another edition of AV Rant. I'm Tom Andry and I'm here with... Rob H. This is AV Rant again. Uh, it's your home theater and AV questions answered. How the heck are we, we going are... to post these things? That's the real question. That's what I oh, really want to know. Well, well, the numbers still go up sequentially. Yes, this is episode 678. We just recorded episode 677 like half an hour ago. We're That's doing right. two in one week because we got to catch up after the holidays. I never even asked last time because we had so much news and questions to cover. Uh, how was Christmas? How was New Year's? That good, huh? <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have asked. Don't have kids. No, I love I love my children, but boy, they could suck the fun out of a oh dear ride at Disneyland. Um, it was okay. Uh, so okay. our Christmas this year with my wife and I, my plan, since this was my idea, my plan was that we were going to uh, take and give them. You know, they would unwrap or they would receive. Uh, uh, suitcases and then they'd yes. open their suitcase and inside there'd be clothes and then I would say put them in the car we're leaving and then we would drive and we would go on a trip and the trip yes. was supposed to be to well the, initially my my brother-in-law my wife's brother and his family were going up to Canada someplace to go skiing for a week and I'm like kids have never been skiing mm. I come I come from a place where there were mountains within two hours so you know we never planned you know we said hey, we might go skiing this weekend we'll see what the weather's like on friday you know sure. i don't schedule three months out that i'm gonna go for a, <laughs> for a week-long skiing trip and then it's there's a blizzard or there's no snow or there's whatever yeah and then my kids have never been skiing my wife skied once 30 years ago so i'm like That's, i don't know if i would have spend the kind of money we're gonna have to spend to get up to canada <laughs> to do all this stuff with your brother who has more money than we do uh so we uh, we did that. We kind of did that. We gave them suitcases, and inside the suitcases there were thermals and gloves and hats, which kind of told them they were going someplace cold. And we said, "Go pack your bags." And because my there was some family in town, we ended up leaving the next day. So we left okay. the next day. We drove up to Asheville, North Carolina. We did some rock climbing outside, which was great. We did some hiking, which was muddy and kind of sucked. And uh, we did uh, one day of skiing, which, I mean, by my standards was terrible, but by everybody else's standards was fine. Uh, they, they were making snow. And if you've ever been someplace where they're making snow, mm. they they blow it. Not. They blow it. I've never been there either. They blow it onto the where you're skiing. So you're skiing sure. through, you know, basically flying ice at your face. Yes. And then your, your goggles, your glasses, whatever you have, all gets Snow completely covered, water. Yes. and you cannot see anything. So it gets <laughs> quite dangerous, and it was super packed. But mm. uh, overall, it was a very good trip. It was very good all trip. right. So yes, 
I didn't make it to Canada, but I put the bug in my <laughs> wife's ear that I'm going to try to get her to go to Canada near you, and we'll see, see. to go skiing or something. Well, we'll see. So this is AV. We're at the podcast that answers your home theater and AV questions. To get your questions answered, all you have to do is ask. You ask by emailing us at question at avrant.com. You can go to avrant.com. Leave us a comment there, facebook.com slash avrantpodcast, youtube.com slash avrant. You can contact us directly, rob at avrant.com. Uh, his Twitter is at First Reflect. I'm Tom at avrent.com. My Twitter is at avrent underscore Tom. We're not going to have listeners of the week except for Andrew, who's ma- who's uh, making a model for, t- what's his name? Toasted Toast? Turned Toast? Turned Toast. Yeah. Turned Toast was uh, one of our Patreon supporters whose name was drawn. And uh, as soon as we get those two in touch, he'll be getting a model. Uh, I'll reach over and get the model that Andrew sent to me. You got yours there first. There we go. How does he get it all the way up to Canada first? Maybe he's from Canada. I'm he is in Canada. Canada. Well, there you go. What did you deliver it to you? <laughs> it came via the postal service. Ooh, my yes, he sent me a TIE fighter. You cannot see it if you're listening to the audio-only version. But it's a lovely, detailed model of a TIE fighter. And I love it. And it's going to go in my theater. And uh, if you want to hear our listeners of this week, go to the last podcast. Because we're going to go straight to the questions. Because we got a lot of them. And we're trying to yes, get through as many as we can. So, starting right off with Carlos. So Carlos has two SVS SB16 Ultra subwoofers. Mm. He's you, nice. You can feel him from here. Yeah, he put one <laughs> in his front right corner and the other in his rear left corner. Good placement. He ran the Odyssey Multi QXT32 with sub EQ HT. It set the sub in his front corner to 13 feet and the sub in his back corner to 22 feet. Neither of those distances matched the physical distances from his main seat. We've talked about this before, but we'll talk about it again. He tried flipping the sub in the co- rear corner uh, between a, a 0 and 180 degrees with it set to 180. The base seems slightly fuller, but it's not a large difference either way. The forums say to set both subs to 0 degrees. What should he do? Yes. You should set... Well, First of all, how did you have them plugged in? He's clearly hmm. got them. He's he's clearly got them both plugged in. Uh, yes, he is clearly using both subwoofer outputs, subwoofer output one and two from his AV receiver. It's clearly a Denim Morant since he has Odyssey Multi QXT32 yeah. with sub EQHT. Let's talk about and, distances. Uh, yeah. First of all, distance okay. from your speaker is almost always a physical distance. It's the distance yes. between your the microphone and your speaker. That's almost always the case. In subwoofers, that is not the case. I know. Weird. It took us a while to figure this out. But what it is, 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 is a delay. It is yeah. a delay. We are delaying the bass coming out by that number of feet, basically, if you think of it that way. And we're doing that because of how it, the room interacts with the bass. Okay. Yeah, well, sound, sound travels approximately uh, one foot every millisecond. Yeah. So if you're talking about what is the distance, uh, you could also translate that roughly into milliseconds. Right. And that would be about equivalent. So that's why it's uh, more or less the same effect as setting a delay. Right. So yeah. uh, what your, what your Denon or Morant's receiver has done is said that, you know, to phase align all the speakers and the subwoofers so that when, when the sound is played out of one, it is played by all of them at the same time. You, uh, it delays the subwoofers by those two that those amounts. Okay, so what you really want, though, what you really want is you want the the think of your two subwoofers and your room as one speaker. 
Yes. Your two subwoofers. In fact, no matter how many subwoofers yeah. you have in one room, and your room is wherever the air can freely move. Mm-hmm. So we don't know for sure that he's in an enclosed rectangle. Right. Maybe he's in a wide open family room. Yeah. The room is everywhere that the air can easily move. Right. So that is all one speaker. So what you really mm-hmm. want, or one driver, or one box, or whatever. What one you really- sound producing thing. You want the two subwoofers to be playing at exactly the same time, no delay between the two of them, exactly at the same time, in the same phase. So when the driver goes out on one, you want the driver to go out to go on the other one, and vice versa. This is why instead of using the dual subwoofer outputs on my Denon, I and it, honestly in my room it didn't make any, almost any difference because the the room itself, the subwoofers are physically very, they, the distances that were set were almost identical anyway. Sure. So I, I think it was a half foot difference or something. But yeah. what I've done is set them both uh, with a Y splitter out of one of those jacks yeah. and told you've my told receiver. told your AV receiver you have one, one subwoofer. Sub. Even though physically you have two, you've told it you have one, used a Y splitter. So Carlos, I will refer you to once again you know to my 12-step yeah guide to setting up dual subwoofers that I've written as an article over on avrant.com. We'll have the guide for it in the show notes for this very episode. If you're checking on YouTube or looking at avrant.com and check the show notes for this episode, six, seven, eight. Um, Yeah. So I go through the whole process of how to set up dual subwoofers using just one subwoofer output. And if you're saying, well, why can't I just manually go in and change the distances to be the same? Uh, you know, still using sub EQHT. It's because unfortunately, when you ran Odyssey, it first set those distances or first set those delays, if you want to think of it that way, and then equalized the result after having done that. And so if you then manually go back in and set both of the distance settings for the two subwoofers to be the same, the equalization is no longer going to apply to those settings. You're going to have different wave interactions that would have to be equalized differently. So we actually want to just use one subwoofer output, a Y splitter feeding the very same signal to both subs, and have Multi-Q XT32 equalize that. And there's no real way to get around it other than following the 12-step guide and having just one subwoofer output. You won't won't need all 12 of those steps, by the way, I don't think. Right. Uh, probably not in your room. Yeah. Yeah. In your room, you'll probably just need if the first four. If it's a rectangle, four. if it's a rectangle, you just need the if first. If it's a rectangle, couple, yeah. Bob. Bob got a 65-inch Sony X900F TV over Christmas, and he is truly impressed with almost all content. But he's noticed that if he watches Dolby Vision content from its built-in apps, the image looks very dark. And he's read online that even though it's Dolby Vision, it it, it actually is darker than it's supposed to be. If he uses the same streaming apps on his 2017 NVIDIA Shield, which does not support Dolby Vision, he gets HDR10, and it looks great. I think you've solved your problem. So can we (laughs) explain to him why Dolby Vision content looks so dark when he's using the TV? TV's built-in apps. Would Dolby Vision look just as dark on this TV if he has an external Dolby Vision source such as the new NVIDIA Shield? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. So this is a known issue with uh, some of the Sonys. It's, uh, as far as I know, it's not every single Sony model uh, out there, but this is a known issue with Sony uh, televisions where for some reason, the way Dolby Vision ends up showing up is too dark. It is darker than it should be. Mm. You can have the exact same Dolby Vision source playing on two different uh, TVs, say one of these Sonys and an LG, for example, and the LG will just look brighter overall, Mm. even though they're getting the exact same Dolby Vision signal. Um, So it is a known issue 
issue that supposedly there's a firmware patch in the works, but this has been months and months now, and it hasn't happened yet. So I'm not exactly sure what the situation probably, is. They there. probably uh, subcontracted through Microsoft's audio division <laughs> to get this patch done. Yeah, maybe they farmed it out to Emotiva, and then it'll be years. <laughs> it's, from now. It's, um, it's right. It's right in line behind the Drac update at Emotiva and the getting audio <laughs> out of the right channel and Bitstream out from for uh, the Xbox One. Right now, very problematically for explaining if we're going to explain this in full if you're looking at most external sources like say an apple tv 4k or the new nvidia shield uh that can output dolby vision most of those um you 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 they're feeding within the video range and the video range is not every single code value uh there there are 1024 code values between absolute black and absolute white in the signal and it takes off let's see 16 times 4 is what's taken off the bottom and 16 times uh 20 is what's taken off at the top and those are the below black and above white ranges and you're only looking at what's in between and most of this external devices when it's dolby vision uh, certainly in the case of the Apple TV 4K, it's only sending that limited range. It's not sending the below black and the above white. And unfortunately, what the Sonys seem to be doing is acting as though black should be all the way down at code value zero instead of at the video black level. So that's why everything is like crushed oh, way just, down. Yeah, it's all shifted down. Yeah, everything has been shifted down as though it's way down at code value zero. Uh, so... Something like an OPPO where you can actually go in and choose where the black level is, even for Dolby Vision content coming out. You mean the OPPO they don't make anymore? The OPPO they don't make anymore. (laughs) That was that was like the one player where you could kind of fix this manually on Sony TVs, uh, but that was about it. Mm -hmm. So unless you have an OPPO, and that would only be in the case of playing discs, um, it's always going to look this way until Sony issues that firmware Well, and there's your your solution. Just use other apps that don't have Dolby Vision. Yeah, well, I mean, use the HDR10. Yeah, wait until... You've got uh, an NVIDIA Shield. It's a a great external streaming box. Use that. Just wait until the firmware update comes out. Yeah. Brett. Brett has his theater set up in a multi-use room that is open to the rest of the house. He has two SB13 Ultra subs and a Marantz SR6011 receiver. Previously, he had run Odyssey Multi-QXC32 and used the two subware outputs, which gave him different distance and sub and level settings for his two subs. But then he heard us talking, I guess, seconds ago, about <laughs> sending only one subwoofer signal in Rob's 12-step guide. Wow. This is like on... on on-the-fly feedback. It's on brand. There you go. <laughs> so he decided to give that a try. Rob says in his guide to set each sub so that it reads 72 dB individually, and then when they play together, they should read 75. But in this case, that didn't happen. Playing together, they still read 72, so maybe maybe up to 72.5. Can we explain? Well, I mean, I, 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 it depends on how you were measuring the subs, I guess. I mean, what what device did you use to 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 level match them to begin with, and then then you are now. I'm pretty sure he said he used a U mic one, so that's oh, a very wow. accurate. That should microphone. be accurate. So then the the next one would be if we. Well, I don't know if he played them together. Did he play them together, and then measure them with the U mic one, or did he measure them with the uh, 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 
the Odyssey mic. But Either way, no, if it's open to the it's... rest of the house, I mean, that's the that, thing. <laughs> that, that, that's really your, what your issue is. Uh, for most other people, if it was a normal sized room and it was all enclosed, I would say there could be differences in the mics. So, you know, they use the U mic and then you went to the Odyssey mic. The Odyssey mic maybe isn't as accurate and 3DB, while egregiously inaccurate, is not beyond the realm of possibility. So, whatever. But if you have a, a, ha- a room that's open to the rest of the house, yeah, those subs aren't getting anywhere near pressurizing that space, which you know. That's just it. Yeah, it's more a matter of you are not getting probably much, if any, room gain. Yeah. Um, you're not getting the reinforcement of this sound bouncing back and forth between six surfaces, uh, like you would have in an enclosed rectangle of a room. If you, this is a wide open space, and I don't know, maybe this is going up to a loft like some people's things yeah, do yeah, and that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really getting very little room gain, and you're getting very little coupling of the two subs as though they're acting as one even though they're both within this same designated area it's in this wide open space so this is similar to if you took two subs to the great outdoors and you did not stack them or put them directly side by side then you wouldn't expect a large increase in decibel level by having them both play together Uh, so yeah maybe it reads 72.5 or 73 or something and that is not unusual if you have a, a really wide open space that that's really what's doing that Right. So in your case, you would just basically set them both to 75. Yeah. In <laughs> yeah. your case, you can set them both to 75 and it'll work just fine. Rob needs to adjust your guide. Uh, he I played... tried to keep it concise. I know. Oh, <laughs> duh. <laughs> I really did. Yeah. You haven't even looked at my guide. It's quite concise. It's nice. Yeah, I'm sure. He played the bass sweep on repeat, <laughs> sat in each seat, and adjusted the phase knob of his closest sub, all as instructed by Rob. But he isn't confident in the accuracy of his ears. He found some phase settings where it was very obviously worse uniformity from seat to seat, but it wasn't easy to, at all to find the best uniformity most uh, of the time. It sounded roughly the same, moving the fa- uh, phase knob little by little. Should he bust out his U-mic uh, and a uh, Rumi-Q wizard so that he can see the response instead of just relying on his human ears? I mean, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, I would. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to, if it's going to bother you that you don't find the very best, that's, then, yeah, that's you're how gonna they do it. To, I mean, that's... You're going to have to measure and look at the graphs but you're gonna drive yourself absolutely crazy (laughs) i mean you're gonna be you're gonna be like oh no this line's wavy in different ways than this one's wavy is that good or bad i don't know i don't know well you're you're looking for the same wavy from seat to seat that's that's the uniformity but again being in a wide open room it makes it less likely that you're going to have a lot of bad interactions and i mean first of all you have confirmed that yes adjusting the phase knob of one of the subs does make a difference because you heard some examples for your own ears and just your ears where it was like oh that is clearly much worse from seat to seat but the majority of the time it's about the same from seat to seat that's a good thing it means that you are not in a situation where you only have one good face setting and then nothing else will work. The chances are, even if you did the measurements, most of them are going to look quite uniform from seat to seat. That's great. As long as you're getting pretty good uniformity from seat to seat, you can go ahead and equalize, confident that Odyssey will be able to say, well, all the seats go down and all the seats go up in roughly the same place, maybe my, but not by exactly the same amount in every seat, yeah. but they're roughly going up and down at the same frequency, so I can equalize that. That's really all we're after. So what you're discovering is something that... Uh, most people don't ever take the time or effort to try to figure right. out, which is how are things acting in my room mm-hmm. right now? And that makes, you know, we can't, 
it would be great if we could extrapolate from your open room to everybody else's open room and say, yeah, your uniformity <laughs> will probably be okay because, you know, it's well, an we open don't even room. know exactly where his subs are placed in this open room. Because right. again, going back to that, why didn't the play, them playing together uh, have more of an increase in sound? I mean, if neither of them is up against a boundary. Yeah. That's going to be a factor too. You know, putting a sub in a corner gives you like a nine decibel boost. Well, if this is out in open space, so they're on either side of his couch, I don't know. Could be. But when you put um, you know, two subs, get that in, gain either. In a, in a, or even once, if you put a sub in an enclosed room, these these interactions between the walls in the room and you know yeah. the the sound that's going on becomes extremely dramatic. I mean, it's not yes. a subtle thing. Uh, in in my room in when I lived in Jacksonville, you know, I had openings on to either side and those wrapped around the house to the kitchen, to the living room, mm-hmm. down the hall, to the bedrooms and everything else. And I had some just terrible interactions in that room. <laughs> you know, uh, my subs were, you know, placed, uh, I think, I don't remember, front, left, front, right. I think I only had one sub for the uh, when I was there. Uh, so, you know, I had those subs, that sub not, you know, just placed in a, the place that it could be. And uh, I just had to kind of deal with it. But you now know that, you know, throughout all these different, you know, settings of the face, just get to one that sounds pretty uniform to you and stick mm-hmm. with it. That's what I would do. Yep. Uh, he says after going through Rob's whole procedure, his bass now sounds a little better, but it's not a major improvement versus what Odyssey did when it set the two subs instead of one. Will it? Will measuring with Room EQ is it make a bigger difference? Nope. Your real your, your big issue <laughs> is uh, the openness of the space, and you are fortunate in that you're having you know fewer uniformity problems than mm-hmm. most people experience therefore odyssey you know just by it doing its thing was fine you know it, it, it yeah. was it was fine so yeah I, I mean chances are given this wide open space you probably have fewer uh nulls to begin with yeah. i mean null is what we're really worried about that's the that bad one eq can't fix a null but you probably have fewer to begin with because you don't have a but you don't have six parallels you know three three sets of parallel surfaces like you have in an enclosed rectangle so you're not dealing with that you probably have fewer problems to begin with uh if you actually did this procedure and said that does sound a little better and i don't know maybe he's just trying to convince himself that it does or maybe it really does noticeably sound a little better i'm like well that's actually significant in this mm-hmm. setting if it actually does sound a little better because Odyssey does a pretty decent job. Multi-Q XT32 with sub-EQHT, it does a pretty decent job. It's not terrible. Uh, we're just saying we think this procedure works even better. And you're like, yeah, it worked a little better. Yeah. And that's about the, as good as it gets. So playing that, that, that bass sweep over and over and over revealed that his windows, some of which are over 100 years old, can rattle. Anything can rattle mm. if you try hard enough. They almost never rattle during actual movies, though. He discovered other rattles in his house, too, and he used museum putty to reduce those. But he couldn't seem to do anything for his windows. Any ideas? New windows, I think, is pretty much it. I don't think you can really do much. I mean, it depends on how they're rattling. I mean, if they're rattling up and down, yeah. you could put something, you could put some, something at the bottom uh, or I, I'm just assuming they open up and down. Uh, you could put something there, but likely they're just the glass is vibrating inside the frame, in which case, no. I don't really I see. mean, all I did with my window uh, or a couple of windows when I was, you know, back at my parents' house years and years ago that would rattle and, uh, and here in my apartment had a window that rattled. And all I did was actually like fold up a piece of paper until it was about the thickness of the, you know, little gap in the window right. frame yeah. and uh, put a little bit of foam on either side there and just kind of wedge that in there. <laughs> yeah. And that was about as good as I could do for reducing the rattle of the window without, you know, doing something uh, like replacing the window. Right. 
Tony. Tony has a Denon X3400H and two SVS subs, one PB12 NSD and one older 1646CS Plus cylinder. Below that naming convention from before. So the 16, 16 is a 16-inch driver, if I remember correctly. 46 is how uh, no, tall it's a 16 it was. 16-inch um, uh, diameter. Diameter of Four, the cylinder. 40, and 46 was the inches high. High, right. So the... Whatever. He asked SVS, and they said that in terms of output and extension, those two models are actually quite close, so they should have no problems working together as dual subs. He's run multi-QXT32 and sub-EQHT, and while he likes overall sound quality, he wanted a bit more thump in the chest. He measured with Rumi Q Wizard, and it revealed that he does have a bit of a dip right around 40 hertz, not a full-on null, but a visible dip right where... Uh, we said that chump thump in your you in the chest region should be. So we'd like to try Rob's twelve. What's what is going on? <laughs> so I, I'm glad I I stopped it when I stopped at the last one. They're all the same thing. So we'd like to try Rob's twelve step guide to see if you can get some better results. Did you change the questions around while we took the I break? I absolutely did not. This is legitimately the order in which they came in. The, 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 what happens, man? Themes for some reason. So he wants to try your guide to see if he can get some better results, but there's a chance he will want to return what he already has right now. So he'd like to be able to save and reload his current settings. He knows the Odyssey editor app will allow him to do this, but if he's going to spend any money, he'd like to get a bit more out of it than just the ability to save and load Odyssey settings. So the main thing that seems to be that you can manually alter the curves, right? But how and why would he want to do that? He's concerned that if he just plays around with that, he might make things worse. Can we, so can we justify the $20 app purchase for him? First of all, it's $20, dude. Settle down. Yep, but, uh, it's 20 bucks. Uh, Second, the two subs that you have, uh, if you return those subs and buy other subs, be prepared to be disappointed in the results. Oh, he's not talking about returning the subs. Well, yeah, he he's is. Talking about, yeah, he is. No, no, he's talking about returning to the settings he already has. Oh, that's, that's what he's what, talking He's about. like, he, he did the automatic thing with sub EQHT, which has done dual independent uh, subwoofer, you know, trim levels and distances like we've just been talking about with yeah. the previous two questions. So he did that. He's like, the results are pretty good, but he notices this one dip right around 40 hertz. Mm-hmm. So he wants to try the mono subwoofer output, but if he doesn't like the results of the 12-step procedure, he wants to make sure he can at least get back to what he already has today. Well, uh, just run Odyssey again. I mean, I hate to break it to you. You, if you, you buy, could just run Odyssey again. You would just run Odyssey uh, again because if even if you get the Odyssey editor app, even if you go buy it right mm-hmm. now, I don't know how it works for everybody else, but when I loaded it up, I wasn't able to go into my den and, and save what was currently there. I had to rerun Odyssey in order to oh, get a save. You should be able app. to save if you I have the Odyssey editor app. I wasn't. Huh. I wasn't. That is one of the features. You you are supposed to be able to save and load uh, the configuration. I wasn't that able to saved. load it from my receiver. Hmm. I, I I couldn't. It, it didn't go. I mean, maybe I did something wrong, or maybe I don't know. But it wasn't. It wasn't accessing it. So I had to ended up. I ended up having to rerun Odyssey in order to get that. And I, I mean, see. you're talking about rerunning Odyssey. I mean, it's it's yep. not. You know, brain yeah, surgery. it's some time, but it's yeah, it's not difficult. Yeah. It walks you through it, but um, no, I mean, what else can this Odyssey editor app do? So, I mean, first of all, it's got that when notch you're playing, you can take out, right? Yeah, you can take out the uh, two kilohertz notch that they put in there. Uh, you can also just say, hey, don't equalize anything above. 500 hertz which is what a lot of people like to do or even 250 hertz which is probably the transition frequency of your room uh so sometimes people just say yeah don't don't equalize the mid-range and the treble at all just just equalize the bass that's something people want to do if you're playing around with the target curve remember that is just the target curve that is what it's going to now attempt to 
uh, you know, have the frequency response of your speaker or your subwoofers match that new target curve. It's going to do the best that it can, but it's not going to be able to match it exactly. So there's not really much you can do that could like seriously harm the setup. I mean, you just turn it off if you don't like the results and try it again. So it's more if you want to play around with it. I think Tony was the fellow who was a little bit concerned because like the reviews on say the app store are like three stars or something like that. And there's a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of people who don't understand what they're doing. No. That's, there's a <laughs> lot of people who don't understand. There were a ton of people who gave it a one-star review because they already owned a Denim Marantz and it wasn't one of the models right. that works with the app. Yeah. So they're like, how come it doesn't work with the app? It's like, well, if you read even a little bit of the description, which lists all the compatible models. So a ton of the one-star reviews were people complaining that it doesn't work with their receiver. I saw reviews where they were like, how come this doesn't work with my Yamaha? I'm like, well, that's just your problem, isn't it? Because you're dumb. That's why. Did you try harder? If if there are people doing that and leaving one-star, yeah, it's going to drag the average down, isn't it, unfortunately? So no. Uh, It's 20 bucks. I think it's a good thing to have and play around with. And yeah. There you go. Herb M. Herb got a 65-inch C9 OLED, and he couldn't be happier with his picture quality. He replaced a 55-inch TCL. His sources, the sources he uses most are his Xbox One X and the Apple TV 4K. He has them plugged into his Denon X4400H, but he keeps all of his gear in a separate location from his TV, so he's using a 45-foot HDMI cable that was installed back in 2012. Beginning mm. to see the problem here, as we might have guessed. <laughs> HDR and Dolby Vision are not making it to his new OLED, so he tried plugging his Xbox directly into the TV, and that got HDR, Dolby Vision, and auto game mode all working. And he was hoping that since his the, his new TV and his X4400H both say they support eARC, they would be able to send Atmos back to his Denon through his existing 45-foot HDMI cable, but that didn't work. No, that doesn't work. You need a special cable to do uh, audio return channel. Uh uh, well, for eARC, so I mean, we may as well address that right now, because right. for eARC, and in the case of an Xbox One X, sending its Atmos uh, back, you know, so you've plugged it directly into your TV, and now the TV is going to use its eARC port to send that type of Atmos, which could be uh, full lossless Atmos, like if you're using your Xbox One X to play a physical Blu-ray or a physical Ultra HD Blu-ray. That's full lossless Atmos. That cannot be carried by regular ARC. It can be carried by eARC, but eARC requires the Ethernet part of HDMI. It has to be HDMI with Ethernet for uh, eARC to work, and I'm betting from back in 2012, 2012? Uh it was not an HDMI cable with Ethernet. That is likely the issue for that particular thing. Uh, So you already explained, though. That's the answer to the question. That's the whole question. I mean, basically, yeah. So so if you were to plug your Apple TV 4K directly into the TV and try to use ARC to go from the TV back to the AV receiver, that should work because that is the Dolby Digital Plus lossy version of of Dolby Atmos. Right, and that should go over ARC. should be able to go back through regular ARC, not eARC. But if you want to do both of your sources, and that's what he wants to do, uh, then you have to consider what the Xbox One does. And the only way that would work is you could put both of your sources below your TV, plug them straight into your TV, but get a new HDMI cable, one that is with Ethernet, to send 
thing back through eARC. Well, if you're doing but that, if you're going to get the new HDMI cable well anyway, yeah. why, why then you might as well keep your sources where you want them, which is by your AV receiver, right, right. and you're getting a new HDMI cable anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Foot, I would, you're going to get that mono price, what, Red Mirror one? Uh, well, it's not Red Mirror no, anymore. No, it's it's Dynamic that. View. Okay. You could go with mono price Dynamic View. I would kind of point you to blue jeans cable i i just trust them sort of implicitly when it comes to this because uh, you're, have you're their, butting right up against that 50 foot like hard yeah you really limit. are so yeah. blue jeans cable it's their series 3a a standing for active and it's 85 dollars for a 50 foot they don't have a 45 they have a 40 or a 50 so you obviously get the 50 85 dollars is not that bad from blue yeah. jeans cable who's yeah. often a little bit more expensive than that um I, I just trust them implicitly but yeah the the mono price dynamic view should also work it should jay jay i've been using this l-shaped basement with a 5.1 setup and a sony projector for several years but now they're re- renovating so there was uh so what was there was all torn down he's constructed and enclosed uh in a rectangular room 12 feet 7 inches wide 23 feet long and seven and a half feet high so I'm showing some before photos if you're looking at YouTube. Uh, he had the opening uh, on the right-hand side towards the rear of his room at the time, but now he has deconstructed it all down to the studs. Yes, okay. Uh, so when the room was L-shaped, the screen uh, had to go below a soffit. Now that's an enclosed rectangle, so he can rotate the orientation 180 degrees, so the soffit is at the back now, and he gets a full ceiling height for a screen wall at the front. Okay, so he turns around. He wants the soundproofing situation to be well muffled, not necessarily dead silent. So he followed our previous advice about wall construction and went for a decoupled ceiling with two layers of drywall since reducing sound from going upstairs is the main concern. New wiring had uh, has to be run with dedicated circuits, and the plan is to go with the 7.2.4 configuration and two rows of seats. I have an itch. Oh, yeah, baby, that's good stuff. <laughs> He wants to finalize the replacement, uh, receptacle, I'm sorry, the receptacle placement for his dual subwoofers. He had a single sub before, plus the built-in powered base drivers of his Golden Ear Triton 2 Plus Towers, which means he still only had one sub. He's drawn <laughs> to, to the new PC2000 Pro cylinders, but the room is a little narrow, so his front towers are already close to the front corners, making diagonally opposite corners a no-go. So what placement of dual subs do we think will be best? Okay, so just remember that we're looking for a mirrored placement. My subs yeah. are not in the corners, okay? Because right. uh, I have a, I, they could be in the corner. I could, put, I was actually just looking at it just now. I could put it in the corner, but I would have to run the, the cable over a doorway. And mm-hmm. and I don't want to do that. So, I mean, actually, I mean, I could, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, it, I put it on the other side of a door to, for my ease. I put it on the other side of this door. And then the other one is in the, you know, cheated in as close to the screen as I can possibly get it. Um, it, you know, so that basically it, we're about four or five feet in from the, from the right wall and mm-hmm. four or five feet in from the left wall, uh, you know, front and back of the room. And that's, sure. that's mirrored placement. So. Yeah, just imagine that if you drew a straight line from subwoofer one to subwoofer two, that line would always go through the very center of your room. Right. So what so you if you imagine yeah. it that way. So what you want, it, it like so if you can't place it exactly where he, you know, where we say in the corners, or whatever, well, cheat it in and then cheat the other one in, or cheat it forward and cheat the other one 
forward. You know, you can. Yeah, put I mean, them wherever. I'm betting that like the exact midpoint of the two side walls probably a no go with as well, it only yeah. being 12 feet seven inches wide. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's got you know like I mean I, we can see he's got three seats going across. So yeah, even if the you know cylinder subs standing up were like in between your two rows of seats, are going to kind of have to shimmy around it to get uh, to the rear row or something like that. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Now he was uh, in his email. I didn't fully write this down, but he was like you know it doesn't he doesn't think there's a way he could put a cylinder sub at the front of his room and like well they can lie on their side yeah there's I was absolutely the same no thing, reason yeah. why a cylinder sub can't go on a side and it might be the case since your screen is no longer going below a soffit that you have just enough height to lay a cylinder on its side it goes in the middle of your front wall below your center speaker um now obviously being a cylinder you're not actually going to sit your center speaker on your cylinder sub like you might do a box but there could be a way to do the middle of your front wall, middle of your back wall. It's just you lay the subwoofer down instead of having it stand up. But, I mean, Tom is absolutely right. You move one, you know, you pick the left side of your wall, at the, you know, the left side wall at the front of your room. Uh, it's four or five feet from the actual front wall. Now the second sub goes on the right side wall at the back of your room, four or five feet matching, you know, from the back wall. Yeah. And, and I mean, work. and I love cylinder subs as much as the next guy, but if you end up mm-hmm. saying, oh, I, I could put it midpoint in, you know, or just about mid, maybe a little bit to the side of the center, you know, at the front and then in the back, you put a little bit to the side of the center. Uh, think about box subs too, in this case, you know, I, yep. I you would want to go, if you're going, it depends on the, how high your screen is, you might have to go sealed sure. in there, but, uh, but this know, is now an enclosed rectangle that is not gigantic in its interior dimensions. The SB2000s so. would be I think okay in here if you went with the sure. sealed box. And SB three thousands would crush this room, right? So, <laughs> so. I, I think that SB two thousands you would be uh, the pros. You would be looking at you know pushing mm. them pretty hard to get this room fully pressurized, but it would Down be fine. At twenty hertz, yeah, at twenty hertz. I think that they would they would live fine. The the three thousands oh, yeah. would would be absolutely no problem in this space. So consider that if 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 what you're looking at is that front back placement, then if sure. that makes more sense to you. So he doesn't like having his side surround speakers right at seated ear level, but he also doesn't want them very way high up. Is four feet off the ground reasonable? Dude, you throw them. I don't care where you put them. Put them wherever you want. <laughs> I mean, again, we just say, look at the tweeter. Yeah. Can the tweeter have a line of sight to all the seats that you care about? I mean, if, if you have a multitude of seats and you don't really care about a bunch of them, then don't even worry about those. Take the seats that you care about. Do you have a clear line of sight to the tweeter? And that is as high as you need. I think my, uh, I mean, four my feet speakers are about five pop. feet off the ground. I'd be honest yeah. with you. Maybe maybe not quite. Maybe four and a half or something like that. And that's just because that's what that's what worked for my room. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You got to go reasonable. But I mean, four feet off the ground will probably be perfectly I have, fine. Yeah. I, it, I, I would it's rare that it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. So he positioned the side surrounds just behind the front row. So they are in front of the second row. He already pre-wired and put in DIY backer boxes for a second set of surrounds for the back row. But he hasn't bought any more speakers yet. Should he go for the, that second pair of side surrounds? And since he pre-wired back to where his Moran's SR 7010 and Outlaw Model uh, 5000 will be. Uh, does he need to connect them in parallel? Can his Marantz handle that? Uh, you can connect them any way you want. I mean, you can do parallel you, or series, but I would do... You can connect them in series, yeah. which is what I would do. What I would do. Uh, so, I mean, well, first of all, should he do it? Should he go and buy another pair of side Does anybody ever sit back there? Back <laughs> yeah, how much do you care about the back row? That's really what answers the people, it. The people I mean, who sit back there, do they ever say, why doesn't the surround come from, behind, you know, kind of next to me or behind me? Why is it always coming from in front of me like everything else? Because if it's going to be really rare that anybody is sitting there and you're going to be sitting in the front for the vast majority of the time and you're the one who 
who cares? And hey, maybe with some people come over, you give them the prime location and you sit in the back. That's what I it's do. Only for, it's only for the occasions when that happens. Then, hey, that's money you could save and put towards whatever, more movie rentals, more purchases. Yeah. Um, but if you care a lot about the back seats, then yeah. If you care a lot about them, then do it. That's what I say. Uh, and since it's already pre-wired, we actually mentioned this, what, two Three, well, however many podcasts two ago podcasts. at this point. Well, it, it's the, the the last two question and answer podcast. Yeah, the, the, ago. not the last question and answer that we did this week, but the question we did before the Q and A one we did before we talked about how to do series. But all you would do is the red binding post out of your uh, amplifier, whether it's from the Marantz or from the Outlaw Model 5000, uh, the red binding post out into the red binding post of speaker one, then the black binding post of your Marantz or your um, Model 5000 out to the black binding post of speaker two. That's right. And then you take the black from speaker one and the red from speaker two. And yes, those are all the way back at your where your Marantz or your uh, Outlaw is, but you're going to join them together with a butt splice. And now you have created a series circuit and you're very, very safe. And your Marantz could drive that no problem. But the Marantz 5000 is a five channel amp. I don't see why it isn't powering your front three and your surrounds, but you're fine either way. So he hasn't finished the floor yet and they want in-floor heating. He doesn't want to uh, lose a ton of height for the room though. It's only seven and a half feet tall so you can, i don't think you can lose yeah. any more if you uh space for the uh the height and he's read that he should do something soundproofing wise over the concrete foundation floor what do we suggest well i thought with the heated floor don't they usually put that weird mat stuff down anyways that yeah so i mean certainly if this is radiant heat water based you're gonna have the styrofoam puck thing that they put down anyway but i bet he's not going for that because that takes up a significant amount of height yeah. he's probably going for the electric Um, The electric in-floor heating, they can actually just scratch coat directly over the concrete if you really want to be inefficient. Um, They would normally roll down some kind of insulation layer, and then they would put down a scratch coat, and then they would put the electrical on top of that, and then another scratch coat on top of that, and then they should put down some type of subfloor over that. If you simply put down the dimpled plastic that is meant for basements, and I'm assuming with a concrete foundation, this is his basement. Um, you put down the dimpled plastic um, layer on that. You'd have a subfloor layer. You'd then have to have your scratch coat, your electrical, and then whatever topping they're going to put on that. Because you can put tile directly on top of the electrical in-floor heating. That's mm-hmm. what they do a lot in bathrooms and kitchens and stuff. So I live in Florida. It's put- always hot here. We don't have in-floor nothing. If we could build our houses on ice cubes, we would. <laughs> I think that's the minimum height you can get away with while also addressing everything you would want to address, soundproofing and basement safety-wise. Because basements, you don't want stuff attached directly to the concrete. I hate that idea in any basement. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. the basement, I want that dimpled plastic layer. I, it, it's I not like super if, tall. If they're going to do in-floor, in-floor heating, no matter what they do, as long as they do it properly... Mm-hmm. They're gonna. It's gonna decouple. It's gonna be an in, an insulator yeah, later between be some the layer, the yeah. the heater heat source and the concrete. Because if not, That's all right. that heat just goes into that concrete and it's just it's just gone. That's right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, they'll probably put down that dimple plastic layer anyway, but that's the one I would use because it, it allows for if there is any moisture that wicks, it gives that somewhere to travel to get back out to your weeping. Um, it gives you that little bit of sound isolation and thermal insulation that you're looking for. So just make sure they use the dimple plastic they were probably going to anyway. So he wants a riser for the second row, but, again, room height is at a premium. Then, again, he doesn't want the riser to so low that it's basically useless. So how high? And should he finish the whole floor first and then build the riser on top? Should he fully carpet and put the riser on top of that carpet? Or should the riser be built directly into the concrete foundation? Okay. 
you can solve this problem in a number of ways, and one of them involves buying different size couches <laughs> or couches with different size backs. So if <laughs> if if you built if you get a couch that's a little bit more low slung and doesn't have a huge amount of headrest area mm. above it for the first row, and the second row is a little bit taller, and you've got a screen that's a little bit higher, your 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 you know your issues for seeing are not are kind of solved i think I, he already owns his seats though okay so so if you be... really want a riser you know what the minimum is I, I can't imagine it's anything less than six inches but you know it kind of depends on what the backs of the seats are in front of you and the sight lines you're gonna have to figure that out for yourself uh but just in general though i would finish every bit of this room before i would touch that riser I would oh, yeah. finish uh, every I would bit of it. Certainly. So, I mean, clearly, if you're going to have a riser, it doesn't make much sense to have your electric in-floor heating going under the riser necessarily, if that's going to be the permanent installation. But if this is a riser that actually could theoretically be removed in the future, maybe you're going to move and sell this house, and not everybody's going to want a permanent riser yeah. built into this space. I think that's a terrible uh, then- idea to put a permanent riser in here. Yeah, I, I think it makes the most sense to finish the whole floor. The riser is going to be something that theoretically maybe you could remove. Um, and I mean, the way that I would build a riser that this is not something where it's like, I'm going to pick this up every weekend and take it out of here, but it's something that could be removed in the future with some labor. I would build the type of riser where it has a solid piece of plywood on the bottom Right, not actually necessarily secured to the actual subfloor of the room, right? But a solid piece on the bottom sits on top of the carpet that's in the room. That's right. Yeah, you know, uh, your vertical joist with cross bracing. I'm going to put some a plastic layer there and fill that whole bottom down with sand because I want this thing inert. I'm going to above the sand layer. I'm going to put insulation, and then I'm going to have two layers of plywood on top. In your case, it's probably going to be an eight-inch riser because you're going to lose about two inches from your existing floor with this floor finishing. You're already at seven and a half feet. You put an eight-inch riser there, and now you're at the minimum ceiling height of six foot eight. So that's where I would go. An eight-inch riser is fine. Yeah. It's not so short that it's useless, and I would. I would construct it that way so that, yeah, obviously with the sand and everything in there, it's going to be labor to take it out, but you could take it out and you have a fully finished floor underneath it. Right. And what I would do is I would have the carpet guys come in and carpet. And then if you wanted to put carpet on top of this riser, you know, then you have them, they have the riser in basically in the room ready to go, all the materials. After they carpet, you put it in place exactly where you want it. And then mm-hmm. you say, okay, now carpet this too. You now know? they carpet that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if, if they just carpet the top, you know, I think sure. that would be fine. Or maybe just kind of wrap it around the sides. And then you could, the, the, the bottom, if the, bo- if, the, if the sides are open like we normally suggest, then you could just put like, you know, black speaker grill fabric on that or something like sure. that to, to, to mask that off. So yeah, should you make the riser into a base trap or resonator like jeans? Uh, those are two separate things. So... A, a, yes, you could make it into a bass trap, and B, very much do not make it into a resonator like jeans. Don't make it into a resonator. It's, it's I just mean, awful. It's, it's I know awful. we've talked about a, quite a few times about making the, the riser into a bass trap, but I'm like, I don't know, it seems like such a hassle, but I just want it inert. That's all I well, really want okay. my riser to so be So if you inert. just leave the sides open and there's in, some yeah. insulation in there, it is, yeah. in essence trapping some but of the, the air base. has to be able to get through the whole thing to really be well a right base trap. yeah and you, it, it's it's <sighs> a big it's a bit of a hassle so i it would is. if it makes you feel any better 
if you leave the sides open and have insulation in there, I'm calling it a base trap. Does that make you feel better? Right. I, I call it a base trap. It's not it's not trapping a lot. But yep. it certainly isn't doing nothing. So there you go. Yep. Uh, I just wanted to nerd. <laughs> uh, God, please do not make it resonate. It's so yes, that is awful. so awful. I just hate it. So should he get an Epson fifty forty UB or a fifty fifty UB? Uh, fifty fifty is mm. a bigger number, so that one's the better one. It is. I mean the 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 big feature. So there's two features of the fifty fifty UB that would be convincing for you. A. Do you want to be able to play four K in HDR? At 60 frames a second. That is mostly going to apply to games. It also applies to what? Two movies now, right? Two. Ang Lee's Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk and Gemini Man, because they're both 4K HDR at 60 frames a second. I can't figure out which one of those movies I want to see least. I think it's the Long mm. Walk one, because I it sounds be. it sounds like somebody walking, and I don't know. No, that about. actually is the better movie uh, as far as movies go. Yeah? Uh, the Gemini, Gemini Man is certainly more of the spectacular. Yeah. But in any case... Those two movies and video games are really what you're caring about because the 5040 UB cannot do 4K at 60 frames per second with HDR. It can do 4K at 60 frames a second, no HDR. It can do 4K with HDR, but only at 24 or 30 frames a second. That's the limit of the 5040 UB. Now, the other feature is the 5050 UB is better at HDR. Um, and that's what automatically, I care about, honestly. Yeah, automatically its tone mapping is already a bit better, but they also give you a 16-point slider so that if you find the overall image too dim or too bright, you can manually very easily control that, and the 5040UB does not have that control in it. Now, it's a significant price difference at this point. If you don't care about 4K60 HDR at all, then that price difference... I mean, the 5040UB... Oh, I mean, at the moment, it's like $1,000. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. That ain't nothing. That's a lot. So I'm sure that's. I mean, it's sure like 1700 instead of 2700. That's a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. Th- I mean, you should be able to take those two factors and decide yeah. if that's worth the thousand dollar difference. To you. How much better is the HDR? Is it a lot. Uh, is, it a, is it is it a thousand dollars better? Because if no. it's not a thousand dollars better, I'm gonna, I think I'm, I'm going to unequivocally say that it's not a thousand dollars better. Okay, uh, then I'm going to. My recommendation is the fifty forty. Okay. So, is this a Marantz SR seventy ten ready for all the modern video signals, or does he need it to consider a new receiver? Ooh, seventy ten. That's quite a few years old now, isn't it? But that's the one I have. It's ready. It's fine. Yeah. It's. Uh, uh, it, it won't pass through auto low latency mode from your xbox one to your new display but uh you know what neither of these epsons does auto low latency mode anyway so that's not a problem okay. it'll pass through dolby vision it'll pass through hdr 10 it'll pass through hlg you're good that's one that we really lucked out on the receiver end with this new with these new audio formats and the, the, the high mm. dynamic range and all that stuff is that it just passes through without us having to get new <laughs> new hdmi chips i'm sure hdmi is very upset about it but it, it works all right we've got a half an hour rob and i'm done alan Alan is moving to his new Florida house. Sorry. It's very hot here. Don't <laughs> come here. There's too many people. It's f- they're just everywhere. And they say they come here to die, but then they don't. And they just keep driving in the wrong lane with their blinker on. Okay. <laughs> Alan is moving to his new Florida house. Everything wide open, about 1,600 square feet. We convince him that trying to make Atmos happen in his central gathering room is an uphill battle. 
And that was my face. I made a face. You can't hear it, but mm-hmm. I made a face. And since he has no good place to put his surrounds, one side is, is uh, full of sliding glass doors, and the other is an open hallway and in a half height wall, and the back is open to the kitchen. He's agreed that in ceiling surrounds and no other in ceiling speakers makes sense. So there'll be five point two. Yep, I, I could argue out of the out of the two. I could five point one <laughs> in an open uh, like this. How about five point one? I still like two subs, no matter where you are. Two subs is better. Okay. So, uh, looking at the pair, the the the, the layout here, uh, the the TV will be on the wall. The couch will be in the middle of a gathering room. To the left, there's mm-hmm. a sliding door. To the right, there's a there's a hallway, and behind it is the kitchen and breakfast nook. In front, to the left, is the uh, door to the master bedroom. It's mm-hmm. a small hallway, and who knows what else? It's everywhere. So he's got a Denon X4000, which is, an, I love it, it's a good receiver, which can power uh, 5.2 just fine. That is true. But he would also like to have two other pairs of speakers in other parts of the house. And we'd like to be able to play whatever he is watching on the main 5.2 system from uh, those uh, to those other two pairs of speakers. His X4000 mm-hmm. won't send any HDMI sources to Zone 2, and it doesn't do all the latest video formats, so he's considering a, re- a receiver upgrade. He won't be buying that until summer. So is there something for him to consider that will let him accomplish what he wants without being a flagship model or forcing him to do everything wirelessly since everything is already being pre-wired? Yeah, don't all the newer ones do HDMI to Zone 2? The X3600H, even though... Now, that is a nine-amplifier receiver. You don't need it for your main room. But the whole idea is you wanted to be able to take the source that's playing from HDMI, keep it in surround sound in your main gathering room, but then play it out of the two others. Well, that's what the X3600H can do now. It can down-convert whatever is playing in surround sound in the main room and output via Zone 2 a down-mixed two-channel stereo version of it. Yamaha can do this too, though, right? Yamaha can do that too. So you could look at their... Now, it wouldn't have to be their flagship. It could be one step down from the flagship. Saving money. So it'd be like the RXA 2080 at the moment. I'm sure there's a 2090 coming this year. No. Uh, But the RXA 2080 at the moment could also do this. And both of those would also, if you want to add more in the future, and it would be most convenient to do it wirelessly, uh, you know, it would be Heos for the Denon and... As we discussed with Phil Jones, it can do that. It can take that same two-channel down mix and do it via Heos. In the case of Yamaha, they have been able to do this for years with MusicCast and have a down mix two-channel version played via MusicCast. So two great options there, but you do have to make sure if you're going with Denon that it is the 3600H and essentially nothing else right this minute that right. can do that. Between now and then, um, though, some, ask us again and we're right before you buy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a 4600H that comes out and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah. So you can put up a few uh, printed acoustic panels and put a rug in front of his seats, but you won't be anywhere close to covering 30% of the surface area and absorption. Will Odyssey XT32 or a highest level of YPAL help at all? Functionally, I'm going to say no, <laughs> but <laughs> but objectively, they will help. But I don't know that you will experience what I would call a night and day difference between not having them on. I I mean, there's only so much that you can electronically do to the signal before it leaves your speakers compared to what happens after the sound leaves your speakers and bounces around your room. There's only so much an electronic signal. It's it's just immaterial though, because you're going to end up with XC32 uh, with this Denon 
and you're going or the highest level the, of white or the highest level way. of white power because of what you want to do with your sending the audio yeah, around your house. So we're certainly going to say go ahead and run it. Oh yeah, absolutely, we're going to say go ahead and run it. One thing that the, the, one of the things I like about Odyssey and Wipow is, regardless of the haters on online, very rarely do I do I uh, do I realistically think that people have a negative experience with them you know it 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 will default to doing nothing (laughs) rather than doing something for the for the sake of doing it you know and that's why yeah if you put it in the the mic in the multiple positions and it's like one is up one is down one is up one is down it's going to be like well you get what you get and that's actually the best thing that it could possibly do in that scenario so with this wide open space uh, but only about nine uh, feet uh, distance to, from his seats to his TV. Does he absolutely need tower front speakers? Uh, should he go with a center RBH bookshelves or something else? You're only sitting nine feet away. You absolutely do not yeah. need t- tower speakers. I mean, the only part where we're concerned is that mid-base region, right in that crossover yeah. region yeah. where both the speaker and the subwoofers are both playing, and that is still below the transition frequency of your room. So we we don't want like anemic output no. in that 160 hertz range, which the speakers are definitely still playing. Um, but no, I, I don't think you need like you you definitely don't need tower speakers here, and for the upper. You know, the mid-range and the treble sitting nine feet away, you don't need crazy high output. I I very much wish I didn't have tower speakers. I would love Mm. some speaker manufacturer to tell me, we would like to to sponsor a Navy rent, you know, theater. (laughs) Yes. Give me some bookshelves. Oh, we've got these great big towers. No. I don't want towers. I want bookshelves. <laughs> oh my god! There's so so rarely any cause for towers in most people's mm. lives. You know they it, they it, they look good. That's about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, whatever. So I mean, both Ascend and RBH, their great bookshelf choices. speakers can handle oodles of power, and great choices both of them. Uh, I would also throw in these types of rooms. I do often like. Uh, HSU's right. uh, HB1 Mark II speakers. Ugly, I though. think they work really well in rooms like this, and they're nice and efficient. And they're so ugly. They, they, if you want to play it loud in the kitchen, they're able to do that. Yeah. So um, it, I would throw that onto the list. You yeah. can't go wrong with any of those. SVS, too, right? Sure. You can't go wrong with SVS's bookshelf speakers here. Yeah. And they can handle oodles of power. Yeah. Just almost anything that we normally recommend you would be fine with. (laughs) All right, Andrew. Andrew wants to make his own acoustic panels, and since he's a huge Star Wars fan, he was considering making panels that look like the interior of the Death Star. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, he's seen panels from Gick that have their scatter plate on top of the absorption, so he could do a similar thing, but just make the scatter plate pattern look like the Death Star walls. Okay, so the scatter plate is usually... I mean, I don't know exactly that Geek did this, but I'm sure they did. It's mathematically derived to scatter the the to to bounce the sound in as many different directions as possible, so that you're not getting that uh, that directional bounce. Um, can you do that? I I really don't think it matters. I mean, I think that uh, I, I think that <laughs> I think that being to me, I think that being so worried about being mathematically perfect versus just I mean, that's, this is an aesthetic choice. And I, oh yeah, I, I, I mean, you have two options here in my mind. You could do the thing that you're talking about, which sounds very difficult, or you could <laughs> just send the pattern to Gick and say, "Print me panels that look like this," and mm. then do that. 
<laughs> you know, that, that's... But this is Andrew, the guy who makes the models yes. that we're talking about. So, he, we know he is handy, and we know he is precise, and we know he's very good at what he does. And I don't doubt for a second that he can make these. Now, the, the image that he sent of the type of pattern that he's wanting to use, this is not something where it's going to block all the absorption or no, something. No, it's There's not. plenty So of he's talking opening. about the dark it's... and the light. He's doing both of them, right? I'm not sure. I mean, certainly the light section, I mean, that's going to be what would be scatter plate ish right? Right. So you'd have absorption behind, you know, in this image where he's got, you know, light coming through these patterns that were part of the interior of the Death Star. So, I mean, I have no problem with that. Is it going to be a completely mathematically derived scatter plate? No, no. but that is the, what you're looking at there is totally fine. I say yeah. go for it. Yeah, I think so too. Even the black, the, the I, I, I guess you're going to make those floor to ceiling, those floor to ceiling areas right there you could just Mm -hmm. basically you know put lights behind the other parts and then or white panels you know flush up against that and then you know if you're if you're building a wood frame around this so it looks like that that shape you know because it's Mm -hmm. it's basically like black on gray you just put gray panels behind everything yeah you can just have gray fabric panels you can just you you know you could print that the that image onto the gray fabric panel. Well, uh, if, if, like if he's it. trying to go floor to ceiling, he might not be able to do that. In which case, you know, mm. what you really want to do here is you want to have is is you don't need to get panels. What you need is to make this, which would be a frame that would sit. It's basically a false wall mm. that would come off, and then behind the parts that you want to be light, you either put lights or you put white fabric there. And then behind mm-hmm. the parts that you want to be gray, you put gray and you paint everything else black. You know, the frame itself is all black. Sure. And then behind that, because it's acoustically transparent fabric, you could put panels or just raw insulation wherever the heck you want it to be mm. or everywhere, which would also be nice. Yep. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I, I, I don't know how complex you're going to get with it, but I think it's a, it's fine. Oh yeah. So since he wants it, he wants it to look really nice. He'd want to use MDF to make the panel frames and scatter plates. Any reason to avoid that choice of material? Nope. It's expensive. I mean, and when you cut it, it cost exactly. That's the only. It, it's expensive, and it co- and uh, when you cut it, it it whatever they say, don't breathe that stuff. That's about it. Sure. But yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the reason they don't use it for the frames that, say, Geek makes is just because it costs more. That is really the only reason. In turn, as long as you're willing to bear the cost, it's a perfect acoustically it's a wonderful material yeah but i, yeah. I it, you could literally use anything this is not going to be a i mean Pretty the frames close. themselves they're just frames they're, they're not <laughs> you know you're just making a covering or a, whatever it's you know what it, it, the fact that it's mdf and it's more it's more inert than you know plywood this is not a concern in this yeah case. it's not a sound producing yeah, item yeah it's not a speaker it's i would not worry about it you i'd use the whatever was cheapest and and fit the bill <laughs> Patricio, Patricio wants to upgrade to 4K HDR with a projector. He's not a gamer, so 50-40. So the lowest latency and highest frame rates are not a concern to him. He just wants to watch movies. He's seen that the 50-40 can still be found in some places, including occasional refurb units directly from Epson, and those are much less expensive than a new 50-50. So since he isn't a gamer, mm-hmm. the 50-40 being limited to 4K HDR, 24 or 30 hertz is probably okay, right? Is there any benefit? We've already answered this question. Other than 4K yep. HDR at 60 offered by the 50-50, that would make it worth the price difference, and the difference is the HDR is a little better, you get the little slider. But is it $1,000 right. better? Rob? No, it is there not. There you go. No, I don't think it is $1,000 better. Yeah, uh, unless you absolutely care about those two Ang Lee movies and those are the top priority to you, I think you are a very good candidate for a 50-40 UB. So the Epson 4010 is newer. Is the 50-40 UB still better even though it's older? 
Yes, it is. It's go. considerably better. The 4010 is not an ultra black. It is not a UB. It is definitely noticeable <laughs> to pretty much anybody uh, other than if it was completely washed out in both cases. So no, yeah, the 5040 UB is better than the 4010. No question. Uh, are there any limitations of the wireless 5040BE versus the regular wired 5040UB? Why do you want wireless? Do you need wireless? I mean, it's convenient if you haven't run a long HDMI cable and that's what you're going to have to do. But the wireless version of this, it needs line of sight. It is not something that if you were thinking maybe I'm going to put something in a closet and beam it wirelessly and not have to run a wire, absolutely not. This is a line of sight system only. It is 32 feet max, and that is if you put the transmitter right in front of the projector. There is an arc that goes uh, what the what the range is, uh, where the minimum of that arc is down at 16 feet if you're, you know, like quite far down or above or whatever the projector. Uh, so... The transmitter has to face the projector. So this is really only I have all my equipment at the front of my room and the transmitter is going to be at the front of my room and facing the projector. That is the only way this works. You can't put the transmitter behind or to the side or anything else. Got to be in front. Um, and for some strange reason, with 4K resolution, it is always 30 hertz. It is never 24, it is never 60, <laughs> it is always 30. So those are restrictions where I'm like, the it costs at least $100 more. It's usually $200 more for the wireless one. I'm like, that'll buy a whatever HDMI cable you need. So am I reading this right? The um, 5040 UB 3 LCD projector with 4K enhancement HDR refurb at Epson.com is 1151 I have seen it at, yeah, I saw it at $1,200. I guess it's down a little bit more than That's that. That's crazy. I know. Uh, that's you, like you gotta want that 60 hertz bad dude, you know for 2700 i would jump on that yeah uh so we, whatever we already answered this so we're done all right yeah. john 18 minutes john wants to us <laughs> uh, wants to tell us about uh more about the setup where he's using a denon x2200w with his new paradigm speakers this is the setup where he previously used klipsch uh, towers, but he was able to overheat his receiver when they crank up the two-channel music. We speculate they must have been running a speaker full range for two-channel listening and or those receivers didn't have good ventilation. Neither of those things were true. Ooh, he's got the same rack as me. Uh, <laughs> he always used a subwoofer and set his speakers to small with an 80 hertz crossover. The receiver is in the equipment rack that's open on all sides. He put a couple of fans on top of his den and it no longer shuts down, but it still gets hot. I have that exact same one. And you have more clearance around your receiver than I have on mine right now. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, listener James W. heard of this and wanted to remind us that AV receiver overheating is often due to video processing rather than the amplifier. So make sure video conversion and scaling are both turned off. That's a good rec- a good reminder. I forgot it about is. that. It yep. is. But since John's overheating was only happening during two-channel music playback, it seems a bit unlikely the video processing was to blame. In any case, it will hopefully all be taken care of now that he's bought a monolith am- amplifier. He needs a new receiver that has pre-outs, though, so he's strongly considering mm-hmm. the Denon X3600H. It has all these latest features and a great price, but Phil Jones did mention that there's maybe a 30% parts difference between the Denon and the Marantz, and that's enough to make a big difference. So is that enough to make a big difference in the sound quality? Some people claim Marantz is better for music. Is all is that all BS? The last part is true. That is all BS. How <laughs> yeah, is a receiver part. better for music? <laughs> How? I always say, you know, this one's better for sound, but not for sound. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I love other speakers. These are good speakers for music, but not also for the music that comes in movies. That doesn't sound. Or these are good good for movies, but not for music. Okay, okay, good for sound, but not for sound. Thirty percent parts difference. Hey, I'm absolutely certain that the that 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 there is a thirty percent parts difference between the two of them. Oh, I I know they have different. 
different preamplifier sections. That is for sure. Yeah. That that is absolutely the case. Different preamplifier sections. I just don't. I don't. I don't see that. now. I think that sonically, you're not going to hear a difference between the two of them. If you're as long as you're not no. clipping anything, you're going to be fine. I love the X3600H. I think it's a wonderful model. So yes. Yeah. By all means. So what's a new auto low latency feature mentioned in the Denon X3600H? Will it impact impact his Xbox One gaming? I mean, uh, what's his projector is he looking at? Does he have a projector? What is he? I mean, Uh, because it's got to be all all the way through, right? It can't just be. It's got to be all the way through. Yeah, Yeah. your TV also has to have auto low latency. So yes, this is absolutely a gaming feature. Uh, The PlayStation 4 doesn't have this. This is only on the Xbox One right now. Both the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox One Series X. I can't believe I'm saying that name. Uh, That They will have this. Um, So this is a thing where... What did you say? Series X? What? Did that, I miss that? The Xbox One Series X. That's the thing that's going to go head-to-head with the PlayStation they 5. They just added another X to the Xbox that already had you two remember Xs. remember that? We talked about that. I blocked our... it out, Rob. <laughs> I know I'm you did. I'm blocking out the Xs. Series X is you know, the name of the next X's. Xbox. You know what three Xs means? I know. It's, it's going to sell a it's lot also of It's also Series X, which you can shorten to S-E capital X. <gasps> that's what they want to do. Oh. But that's what it is. So anyway, <laughs> those will have it. Um, so yeah, the whole idea is you start a game and it sends out a little flag and it automatically kicks your compatible television into game mode. So you have the lowest latency possible. And... Many AV receivers until today have not been able to pass through that little flag. That little flag gets lost when you try to send it through an AV receiver. So the newest AV receivers, like the X3600H, specifically mention, hey, that flag is going to get through this AV receiver. So go ahead and plug your game system into the AV receiver and then plug it into your compatible television and the signal will make it from game system to TV. That's all that is. So we mentioned how his Paradigm speakers can handle oodles of power. He went for a, uh, a multi-channel monolith amp since the price per channel gets lower, the more channels you buy. <laughs> yep, that's how they get you. It's 1000 for the first two, but then it's only like $150 more each extra one. You know? Just keep piling them in there. I'm sorry. Dude, I am so not laughing at you. I am 100% laughing at the logic that I absolutely followed when I started shopping for a two-channel amplifier for my overhead speakers when I wanted to add two more channels so I could get the full Mm -hmm. 7.2.4 Dolby Atmos in here. And I started off with a $100 Dayton audio amp, and I was ended up looking at a seven-channel monolith amplifier. And I was like... $1,500 or $1,600. I was like, how did I get... From a hundred dollars for two channels to to everything being powered by this stupid. What am I doing? So yes, I understand how you got to this oh, place. Yeah. It is a very ridiculous place, but I'm I'm you're there. It's so not hard to do. So uh, should he buy amp his his paradigm towers? You you can. It's not going to make sonically any difference whatsoever. Yeah, because. I mean, the tweeter draws hardly any power, and that's what's now getting an amplifier all to itself. All to itself, and it's drawing, it's it's 0.01 of a watt. (laughs) Oh, hey, full reference volume, it might be upwards of 2.5 watts, Tom. 2.5 watts? Three, it might be. Hey, well, at least you have $300 worth of amplifiers to to power those two. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, no, there's not really much reason. But, I mean, hey, if those amps are going to go unused otherwise, then, hey, knock yourself out. 
Cody. It all goes it all goes through the same crossover anyway. I know. It's not like there's an outboard active crossover with the paradigm speakers. So all the power that that tweeter is not using from that one amplifier po- channel that is now dedicated to powering the tweeter, it all just gets turned into heat. <laughs> oh, heat. <laughs> yeah. That we know how much we love that in the system. <laughs> Cody Cody asks, why do we often mention that SVS subs will never break themselves? How did they accomplish this? And is this different from other brands such as HSU, Rhythmic, or Monoprice, Monolith? So uh, can so what, how can an, uh, a receiver or a, a receiver, a speaker or an amplifier, which is what a subwoofer is, is a speaker and an amplifier in one box. How can they break themselves? One of the ways that you can do that is uh, by asking it to play so loud that it draws so much amplifier power and heat that uh, the the internal mechanism, you know, the the pole, the the wires that uh, that create the electromagnet inside that that make the driver go yeah, in and the out, voice coil. That stuff gets so hot it melts or distorts or it, it can actually you know come not come out but basically you'll get out of alignment. Uh, Jumps the magnetic gap right. as they would say. So that's one way that that can happen. Now you can also break it on the amplifier side as well. So the amplifier mm-hmm. itself can be driven so hard that it essentially you know breaks in the capacitors or something and the driver could also try to move so much that it does what we call bottoming out yes which is typically that it moves back so far in the chamber that the voice coil on the back of the woofer physically knocks into the magnet behind it right that is bottoming out and it makes a literal clang clang sound and it's horrible right and scary so <laughs> sbs has put in their subwoofers uh mechanisms that and then you you see this in other subwoofers as well digital signal processing yeah they they, the signal that comes into an svs subwoofer always 100 percent of the time is converted into a digital signal and sent through a processor and what they're able to do is analyze that signal you know very very quickly it's pretty high powered dsp chips that they've got in there now and they know what the limit is what the safe limit is and basically, if the signal coming into the sub is ever requesting greater than the safe level of the signal, well, they use that signal processing to just limit it off. They just roll it off so that the signal never actually goes above the safe limit. And that's why it's nigh impossible to for an SVS sub to ever damage itself because right in the signal itself, before that signal is ever amplified and sent to the voice coil to drive the woofer it's already been curtailed to the safe level that is programmed into that digital signal processor. Now, Monoprice Monolith does exactly the same thing. They also use DSP protection. They are every bit as safe as SVS is. Um, HSU and Rhythmic, they aren't using DSP. HSU is using BASH amplifiers, regular Class D amplifiers. Those have regular filters built into them, not digital signal processing filters, but regular analog filters built into them that make them very, very difficult to overdrive. Theoretically, it's still possible, but it's extremely unlikely. Rhythmic is using a servo, and the servo itself can become saturated if you send a ridiculous right. enough signal to it. Servo subs, um, that's one of the... You, you, they used to always brag about servo subs. You know, yeah. And that's what they do. They, they 
that it is a protection mechanism within them to keep them from it is. killing yeah. themselves, but it's not foolproof. Foolproof and it is, is possible to damage the servo itself. Right. I mean, if, if you're going ridiculous. Yeah. And then power sound audio, they're using ice block amplifiers, which are essentially just as safe as what SVS and Monoprice are using. So, I mean, all of these are really quite safe, but there is the theoretical chance in the case of HSU and Rhythmic that it, it is still on an outside chance, possible to overdrive them, whereas the monolith and the SVS with their DSP processing, it's it's nigh impossible. Yeah. And that's what, one of the reasons we like them, but honestly, if you follow our recommendations, and we often recommend uh, rhythmic subs and paradigm subs and other oh, yeah. subs, you know, HSU subs all the time. HSU for sure, yeah. You know, and uh, we're, you know, power sound audio as well. And yeah. uh, I mean, mainly why I like the DSP and SVS and Monolith is because not only are they using it for protection, but also they will make it so that as you keep increasing the volume dial, the output of the subwoofer remains linear. They don't just let the sub react to the electrical signal in a non-linear fashion. Right. And with the other ones, that is possible. Now, rhythmic, that's exactly what the servo there is to, to counteract, is to counteract non-linearity. So different methods of trying to accomplish the same things, really. So but the DSP does it really well. The, 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 the thing here, though, is we recommend these other subs all the time because we're recommending them uh, an appropriate size sub for the room that they're mm-hmm. going to be in. So when somebody says, you know, uh, you know, I've bought a sub and it's in this room and we say it's too small, what we're saying mm-hmm. is you'll never get it, you know, it, it will not pressurize the room. And what we're not usually saying, because it's normally SVS, but what we you might say, what we're not saying is, if you try, you might damage your sub. Mm. And we, when when somebody comes to us and says, you know, I've got this size room, you know, and, I, and you know, what si- what sub should I buy? We say you can buy SVS, or you can buy Rhythmic, or you can buy Mono Price, or you can buy Power Sound Audio, and these are your options. And it doesn't matter that they have protection mechanisms in place on all these subs or not, because you'll never. If you dry, if you're, as long as you're just setting it up for the way we tell you to and playing it up to reference volume and not much past it, you're never going to get to the point where you're going to be damaging that stuff. Right. So, you know, it, it's not something that I would ever worry about as long as you're, you know, putting the appropriate sub in the appropriate room. You damage speakers when you're in the college and you take your speaker and you put it in your window <laughs> and you crank it up as high as you can yep. and, you know, and play rap music for six straight hours. You know, yes, that is how you damage it. Um, the other thing, other way I've seen uh, speakers damaged is uh, by placing a small speaker very far away from you in a well-dampened room and trying to hit reference volume. You will <laughs> damage the speaker that way. Last question, Steve. Steve would like to better understand how the bit rate of a given video affects what we actually see. He knows that at the moment, physical discs still offer the highest bit rate. All the streaming services use lower bit rates than physical discs, correct? Yes. I mean, at this time, time, yes. yes. But how does that difference actually manifest in terms of the viewing experience? He's heard that lower bit rates could create macro blocking, but what is that exactly? But this man has to have a great internet connection. He's heard that dark scenes or scenes with smoke or lots of small particles are usually the most obvious, but do you basically need to put the disc version and the streaming version side by side in order to know the differences? Basically, can ignorance be bliss in this case? He doesn't want an obvious loss in its quality, but there's no denying the convenience of streaming or getting your movies and TV shows through, say, iTunes or Vudu. What's the real situation when it comes to video? bit rates so the to me the most obvious place that you see the difference in video bit rates other than when you're 
internet starts to lag for because everybody went online to check Facebook at the same time is uh, <laughs> when you're when a movie first starts and you get that uh, the black screen and then up comes like uh, Paramount or whatever and it, it's a it's a light you know it, it's a light thing mm-hmm. that's getting that's getting you know the the black around it is starting to to get lighter then you'll see these sort of it looks like waves you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, and that's what I would call macro blocking. That's what. That's what. You know. I mean, that isn't really macro. Blocking. That that's posterization or right, color right, 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 uh, right. color banding at that point. Macro blocking really does look like blocks. Yes. So inside, and it, it goes back to. I mean, what we're really talking about is compression. That's what we're really yes. talking about. Yes. Um, because the way compression works is the video signal is analyzed by the compression codec. And it says, well, what parts of this image changed from this frame to this frame? And they usually pick a key frame. They're like, here's our key frame. We're going to reference everything to that for the next little while. And then at some interval, we'll pick a new key frame and go from there. But they basically say, look at this key frame now. In every subsequent frame after that key frame, what changed? Because anything that didn't change, let's just leave it the same. Let's capture that once as a still image mm-hmm. and then never re-encode it again, only the parts of the image that change. And there was actually a really cool video on YouTube where a guy took one YouTube video upload, downloaded his own YouTube video, re-uploaded it to YouTube, downloaded that new one and did it over and over and over and over again to show what the compression is doing because it's trying to recompress every single time. Right. And like eventually his face just turned into like one uniform pink blob and that was all that was left. And so that is an extreme version of macro blocking because what it's literally doing is drawing little block shapes and saying, well, everything in this block stayed the same from frame to frame. So I'm only going to encode that once and keep it the same until something changes. Now, going all the way back to MPEG-2, it was literal squares. That's why it was macro blocking. As we move to H.264 and H.265 and H.266, they're able to draw different shapes. H.266 can basically draw curves now. So it can draw right around a shape and then like keep everything outside of that shape, you know, static. So it's getting better and better, but it requires more and more processing power. So as we have more data to work with, well, we can more frequently change. We can have more frequent keyframes, uh, or we can more frequently change, or more frequently. I can't update. believe That's that this what dude's never had uh, a compression, uh, a, a bit rate dip in his internet where he's seen mm-hmm. it go from crisp to blurry because <laughs> that's that's it man that's what you're looking at yeah and that never happens with a disc yeah that's, yeah, that's that, never gonna that's happen never happens with a disc but you will happen when you're streaming video and that's mm-hmm. you know as that bit rate dips you're gonna you know the ability to give you a sharper image is you know the first thing that goes there so yeah. uh yeah i mean but the thing is our internet bandwidth is getting better it um, still happens to know, me at least a couple of times uh uh I will say a week now. It used to be yeah, a couple but what, times a what day. I'm saying is, I, I I don't think it's going to be a case where as we go, you know, further into the future, that this is going to get worse for streaming. Streaming is only going to continue to get better, yeah. and we likely aren't going to have another disc format after Ultra HD Blu-ray. It seems kind of unlikely that there's really going to be another one. Although they might use something like the new VVC codec to right. cram even more data into existing Ultra HD Blu-ray, or you can make them into four-layer discs instead of three. Right? That's the type of thing we might yes. do with Ultra HD Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
how does it manifest itself? Yeah, you can sometimes see it actually break down into blocks. You might see the color banding because what it's doing there is saying, well, these two colors next to each other, uh, they're close enough that I'm going to save some data here and just call them the same color and you end up with a block of color instead of a nice smooth gradation. That's another way that they save bandwidth. So yeah, there, there are these small differences in the image. If you aren't noticing it, then ignorance kind of is bliss, honestly. Um, and and it's not going to be a case where it's going to get worse over time. So I don't have a problem with somebody going, you know what, instead of buying physical discs, I'm going to just, the movies I want to own, I'm going to buy them on iTunes. Because you know what else iTunes has done is free upgrades. You bought a 1080p version, they give you the 4K version now that it's available for free. I'm like, well, you didn't get that with a disc, did you? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I hear you. I still, I, yeah. I, I feel like... And this is just me, and I don't expect anybody else to feel this way. I feel like I no longer buy discs because I want to own them. I buy discs because I I'm, I want to send a message to the studios or sure. to, to make more of this stuff. Same thing with going to the movies. I go to the movies right. to to say to say I want to see more movies like this. I went and saw. Well, that's a bit like buying the vinyl to support your favorite band because that's where they make the most money, other than touring. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, but I'm not buying the vinyl because I'm not a vinyl player. But whatever. All right, let's uh, end it here. We've got two uh, additional people on this, uh, but we should have knocked down our list enough so that we are now more reasonable and we will. Well, and you know what, uh, Lee and I might be around tomorrow to uh, knock this list down even further because this is not the entire list. I didn't get <laughs> everything onto this list. We're gonna- so we'll get caught up. Hooker by Crook. Three podcasts this week. People don't. Oh, I want, think we do. Tom. People we do not three want three podcasts this week. Oh, I think they do. They Tom. do not. No more podcasts, Rob. Take a break. Mm, I don't know about that. All right. We want to thank Andrew for being our listener of the beginning of the year and and uh, yes. providing our model, the uh, a model, to our prize winner from our Patreon support uh, turn toast. So thank you. That's Andrew. right. Thank you very much, Andrew, and uh, congratulations, Turn Toast. You'll have something as nice-looking as this X-Wing model that he We made. never talked about the new Star Wars movie, did we? No. Nope. Next week. Next week, spoiler-filled reviews, maybe. Or maybe not. That seems fair. It's been enough time. Everybody's seen it. Who wants to see it at this point? So most people just want to hate on But let's go. All right. For A.V. Rant, I'm Tom Andrew. And I'm Rob H. Now go out and listen to something. <laughs> <laughs>